the song of songs. I'm just looking around to see how familiar everybody is with this book. If my granddad was alive, my granddad was a bit of a preacher, he would have said that I was crackers to even go down, uh, go down this road. It's a song about, amongst other things, two lovers and their desires. I'm just, my heart's pumping away as I'm even saying it. I can see people screaming. And their wedding night. And in the book, or wedding nights, perhaps, and in the book, there is no mention of religion or church or God or anything like that. My first introduction to the Song of Songs, I think I was about 12, and we went to uh, the church I was going to at the time, had a breaking of bread, what they called the breaking of bread service. If you're 12, it just meant nothing, but it, I mean, it's, I look back now, and it was a lovely service, but it was very quiet. And often when you're a 12-year-old lad, it was really just, I mean, maybe it's a little bit like that now for some of you staying in the service. You're looking to fill time. I had Blue Tech, and I had, I had looking for the funny names of the guys and girls who wrote the hymns, and I had that. But one day, my only friend in church came to me and said, I found a way that we can pass the time in church. And he introduced me to the Song of Solomons. And my parents looked down at their young son engrossed in the Bible, and they thought, oh, this is great. Little did they know uh, what I was reading. But what I was reading was God's Word, wasn't it? It brings to mind the Song of Songs in the Bible. That moment, and increasingly we have these as a family, but maybe you have them too, where you sit down to watch a family film. You sit down to watch what you hope to be a time of connection and bonding, maybe even you know, there'll be an, it'll be an inspirational. You might put, you know, you put a film and you think this will take us somewhere as a family, as a collective. And then about an hour into the film, you look across and you think, has anybody checked? Is this a PG? I'm sure there's a PG. Because it has what my mum used to call an under the covers moment. That's what she used to call it. Oh, they've gone under the covers. And you... Collectively, there's a squirm in the room because you're thinking to yourself, no, I'm sure this is a PG or a 12. This shouldn't be going under the covers. This is a connection moment. This is us coming together as a group. We're supposed to feel unity amongst the group as our little tribe, and we're supposed to get a bit of a lift and everything else. And you've got this odd moment where you're saying to yourself, what? how is this helpful? What is this doing here? How can this help us as a family have connection? And you try and get around it by saying, well, maybe it contributes to the story somewhere down the line. But secretly, you're just thinking, where is this going? Why is it here? That is the big question, I think. I don't know if you've ever read this book. I don't know if you're dead familiar with it. That is the big question when we get to the Song of Solomon. This, my conviction about the Bible is that it's a sacred text. It's the path to goodness and righteousness. We talk about the book like it's holy, sacred. God's, the way that I've come to understand it, having, having done a little bit of study, is that it's God's breath, God's words breathed out. How on earth is there this candid, brazen, I'm gonna use the word fruity, bit of text in the Bible? How on earth does it help? us out? How does it tell us any more about God? How can it help us down the line? That is definitely what a panicked version of me was thinking about a week and a half ago as I started to do some study on this and read through the text. But I've got to say, 
as I reread a bit of Jesus, Lover of My Soul, as I committed to it, as I dug into it, one of the things that I realized was, I, as I did with when we looked at the book of Judges, which is a pretty alien text, and the book of Leviticus, which has got a lot of blood in it, I realized, man, I, I, fi- I felt like, Jude sort of pointed to this earlier, I felt like I, I, I didn't really know God at all before I read this book. Kind of like, how, was, how am I going to get through the next however many years I've got left on this planet as a Christian? As somebody who believes in a higher power, how am I going to get through that without reading this book? It was critical for me. It was really helpful. I'm sorry that was a bit of a waffle. It's not in my notes, but I, I wanted to sort of project that across. I hope that you engage with it. I hope it's, I hope it's really helpful. If you're new to church, or if you're new to the Song of Songs, it's going to be really exciting. If, you, if you're familiar with the book and you know some of the verses off by art, don't panic. It's going to be all right. We're going to be gentle, careful, and sensitive. And, and also, I was, I was kind of checking myself in the week. This book deals with intimacy, amongst other things. And this, I think this hits us all different. Different ages, different points in our lives. Some of us, this would be a, some of us, the idea of intimacy is like it'd be a real struggle, be a real pain. Some of us, it'll be at different times of our life, it's been a real joy. Some of us won't even know what it's about. It'll hit us all different. But those of us that are going to share this word with you, we're going to be really careful. We're going to be really sensitive. We're going to be really safe uh, with God's word. So there's two things, really, that I think are helpful um, sort of bookmarks for me as I preach through it. Two things I've got ambition in this first little talk to talk to you about. I want to give you a way into the book. So that when you come to it tonight, when you get home and you can't wait to read it, you're like, that was great. Just gotta, I've just got to embrace God's word. I'm not going to watch whatever's on telly at 8 o'clock. I'm not going to wind down in that way. I'm going to soak myself into the Bible. I want to give you a way into this. I want to give you a way to look at it and go, oh, I see. The other thing that I want to do is just give you a few pearls from that passage that Jeff read out. There's some, there's some pearls of wisdom in this book. There's, there's some treasure in it. So I want to just uh, reveal that to you. So first thing way into the Song of Songs, first thing that you need to know is, and it says this, clues in the first line, first verse, it's a song. Are you pleased that I'm your pastor, telling you things like that? Great teaching, isn't it? It's a song. We can tell that it's a song. How do we know that it's a song? The text is kind of different, but you see the very first verse, it says, says it's a song. Solomon's Song of Songs. It's the ultimate kind of a song. There's what they call, and I don't even really know what this is, but some more musical people will tell me afterwards, but it just kind of confirms that it's a song. There's consonants in the first line. That S sound is not just an English thing, it's in the Hebrew as well. It's that sound, it's that repetition, that drum. This is a song. Um, A scholar called Dune Garrett suggests that it was a a wedding song. This would have been sung at a wedding, and when they got married, in Israel at this time, and I think in other parts of the world at this time as well, it was a big deal. It lasted for about seven days. And this song, you can see the he's and the she's as we go through, and the them's and the others. This song would have been bounced about, a bit like I imagine an opera. I think it's, I'm, it's, I, it suggests, Joanne suggests, that this is how it works. Somebody would sing a little bit, somebody else would sing a little bit. It would be a song that was sung. Why does that matter, that it's a song? So it's just like a, it's worth thinking about. Why does it matter that it's a song? The words hit you differently, don't they, when it's a song? When it's a song that you hear, when there is a rhythm, when there is a beat, when there's a rhyme, 
when there's a refrain, when there's feeling, when there's a bass guitar belting its way through it, when there's a bit of poetic license, it changes the meaning. The most streamed song of 2022 was what? You don't have to do a shout if you. You can think it out loud if you want. By the gorgeous and wonderful Harry Styles. It was the way that it was. Now, Harry Styles, some of the lyrics in the Harry Styles song, he says, and I might even, when I do this in the past, I've, I've ended up singing it, so I apologize in advance, but I can't help myself with this with song. Gravity is holding me, you're laughing already. Gravity is holding me back. When he sings it, gravity is holding, no, I can't sing it. Gravity is holding me back. There's that refrain in the song. When he sings that, those words, this is not, when you read it cold off the page, you could say, is this physics? Is gravity really holding him back? But we know, because of his delicate kind of angelic voice and then banging synths that kick around in the back of it, we know that, that's, we know that he's not giving us a physics lesson. That's not his intention here. There's another refrain um, in the song. In this world, it's just us. He, he, he sings that out. That's, and it, it really gets in your head, this song, doesn't it? Maybe you've not heard the song. I think a lot of you will. In this world, I'm going for it. It's just us. And you, buddy, will be first to laugh at that. There's that refrain that bangs out. But it's not that he's just making a statement about population. It's not that there's literally just two people in it. He's getting at a feeling. He's getting at a relationship, I think. Without, if you go through the song and you just pull the words off the page, you wouldn't have much to make you think that it is talking about that. But you, you realize that it's a song and you realize that he's not giving a physics lesson. He's not giving any stats on population. He's getting us to think about a feeling. We get the song of songs. We'll understand the song of songs when we realize that it's a song. When we realize that it's something that we should sing. Really hard, isn't it, to sing something you don't mean? Do you know when you're in that spot? Like, you, 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 maybe you, you know, you come to a piece of music, you've got to sing it in school, assembly, something like that, you're like, I don't really mean this. Yet you find yourself in a position, maybe at a footy match, or, or somewhere else, or the song comes on the radio, and you really agree with what it's saying, you just, words just pour out your mouth. What I hope that we get out of this series, and I think what, what God's words got for us, if, if, we, if we believe in all of that, is, is more than just logic off of a page. It's part of that, but it's more than that. God wants us, I think, to feel something. If we're people of faith, we get to sing something. We have something of joy in our hearts. It's a feeling. So after eight weeks of this, what I, one of the things I hope that you get is that this is a song in order to understand the text, but also that you've got a song in your heart that you feel something about the faith that you have. That's the first thing, it's a song. Other thing is that it's wisdom about intimacy. It's wisdom about intimacy. How do we know it's about intimacy? It's pretty unavoidable when you read just first couple of pages, you can't help, help but see that. I've put in my notes here because it's saucy, um, and it is, it's saucy, but it's not and I think it's probably worth explaining at the start, it's not trashy and it's not glib. This is true love stuff. It's a revelation. It's like we get to see something that we maybe think that we shouldn't get to see, but it's not trashy. It's serious in love stuff. It is revealing, however. So we know it's about intimacy. We know it's about wisdom. How do we know it's about wisdom? 
in terms of understanding the Bible. We know it's about wisdom because of where it is. Not rocket science, it's in the wisdom section of the Bible. And a guy called Solomon, whose sage advice has been received by the world for thousands of years and held on to, wrote it. We know it's wisdom because of that. We know it's wisdom because of some of the refrains that are in it that call us to think about how we live our life. So one of the, I think there's two or three refrains in the book. We'll probably come back to them as we preach our way through the series. But one refrain uh, that, that pulls all the, all the poem together, that makes you think it's not just a, a scattered bunch of thoughts, that makes you think it's got a continuous flow of thought as it goes through it, is do not awaken love until it's due time. Do not awaken love until it so desires, I think is another way of looking at it. It doesn't just mean the very conservative wit. It does mean that on one level, I think, but it means give this idea of intimacy gravity in your life. Think about, think about what you're doing. Stop and think about this. There's more to this. Here's the wisdom. Great wisdom, I think, for us in the day and age that we live in. Just, and I'm not trying to be pious about it. I'm not trying to be a holy joe about it. I'm saying, think about this. This is a, this is, what is this? What are we doing? So there's that. It's wisdom, but there's more to it than that. As Jeff hinted as he read the passage, he sort of said it because he was like, this is how it is. It's not just wisdom about human intimacy. It's wisdom about intimacy that we can have with God. Now, I say this because this has actually it's been a problem for scholars, but it's been a problem for people as well over the years. We struggle with this concept. We kind of have, we struggle to have these two things pulled together. Maybe even just now, maybe as you've thought about me reading it as a 12-year-old, or when you've read it in the past, you've thought, these things can't come together. So often what we do is we take stuff like this and we say, well, that's that. That's one thing, and then the God stuff exists over here. It's quite a well-worn road for human beings to separate up our lives into these two little compartments. But think about it. If we believe, if you're a Christian person, you believe that it's a God, that's not really true, is it? If we believe that God made the stuff, if we believe in an all-powerful God, he didn't just make some stuff and not make other stuff. You don't just ignore some stuff and be more aware of other stuff. He's in and amongst everything. He sustains everything. My conviction is that it's all for his glory. So, and this might take a second to digest. don't know if you've thought about anything like this before. Even our most intimate moments are about him, are to do with him, are a pointer towards him, longing for a perfect partner. This idea that there is somebody out there that is perfect. This desire that we've got, this hope that we've got of fulfillment in intimacy, that we think that it's going to be about something. It's going to take us to a place where we feel completely satisfied. This persistent desire in our life to feel loved, and wanted this desire that we've got for intimacy, this desire that we've got to be to be adored, to have somebody look at us and want to have us. This points towards more than just the physical and what it seems. So let's just dig into the text. A couple of pearls. Let me read out um, 
Yeah, I'll read out that first little bit and I'll just, I'll give you my reflections on the passage and then I'll just dig a few pearls out for you. She says, let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth. For your love, so just as I read, as, as I go through the heartbeating moment where I read this out, just maybe just have a look at it yourself as a, as a piece of literature, as a song. What's the depth of the poem? What is, if we can believe in a God, if we can believe that he breathes this out, what on earth is he saying to us um, in this moment? How do we receive this? Let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth. For your love is more delightful than wine. Pleasing is the fragrance <coughs> of your perfumes. Your name is like perfume poured out. No wonder the young women love you. Love you. Take me away with you. Let us hurry. Let the king, can't say this bit without raising an eyebrow, let the king bring me into his chambers. The friends say, we rejoice and delight with you. We will praise you and love you more than wine. And then she says, how right they are to adore you. So a couple of notes on the text, like study notes. First thing that we see is her desires. This is... Um, <clears throat> reading a few commentators, they all sort of say the same thing. This is the most, I don't know if this is an expression anymore, the idea of being forward, is that, is that something people still say about people? This is the most forward part of the whole Bible. This is the bluntest part of the whole Bible. She basically says, I really, really want him to snog me. I really, 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 I can't then almost emphasize it any other way. She's like, I really, really, really want his attention. And then there's the kind of sensibility shattering next line because his kisses are better than wine so there's different into this gentle interpretations of this and then there's a guy called hess who i think is pretty conservative but he kind of lets his hair down in this in this moment so there's this is this is better than the ple you know wine is is connected with the idea of pleasure it's better than pleasure or as hess says it's better than being drunk is what he says in his line this is just this in your face heart of the desire that's the first thing that we see we can't see anything else the second thing that we get to do is journey with her to this place of intimacy have a look at the text it's really subtle this i think you kind of you maybe needs a couple of reads or you or you kind of know what it's about but you can't quite put your finger on it so that opening up the literature will kind of help us see there's a really careful journey in, into the level of intimacy that, that she feels at the start it's in the third person do you see that in the text like it's just, it's, it's a possibility that, that the, a relationship might blossom. Like it's like, maybe it'll happen. So she says, let him kiss me, third person. Then it moves up a gear. It goes into the second person. It's like they're getting closer together, or he's getting closer to her. Your name, second person. Your name is like perfume. Then it moves up another gear. They get closer together. Still, it's in the first person. It's like they're sat next to each other or they are next to each other. She says, take me away. Then, moves up a gear still. It's first person plural. It's like they are together. It's like it's really, really serious. It's like they're in union, and, and she says, let us run away together. You see the journey? See where the poem takes us into intimacy? And then maybe, like the clinical climactic moment jumps back into the third person again. You think, what's it doing? And she says, let the king take me into his chambers. It reaches this point where this person that was distant 
now becomes her king. Might have been the case, because Solomon perhaps probably wrote it, that it was literally a king. One of the things as I read about it was, um, when people got married in these times, they, for their wedding day only, and I think this is really very sweet and lovely, they would refer to each other as king just for a day, king and queen. King and queen. And people would refer to them as the king and queen. She reaches this point where this guy, what I think is a shepherd, could be wrong, becomes her king. And you get to journey to this point. The last thing that I see, that I think we learn from the poem, is that he is a bit of a stud. It's clearly a, there's attraction there. But he's a keeper. It's not just a player. He's a keeper. There's more than just a physical fancy going on here. Beautiful line in the middle of this poem. His name, see that, uh, which verse is it? Verse three. Your name is like perfume poured out. His name, not just his literal name, we don't get to know what that is, but his character. Who he is, is like perfume poured out. When you poured out perfume in these days, it was intoxicating. It was a form of attraction. She's saying, your name, not just, not just what you look like, but who you are, what your reputation is, what you stand for, that is blowing me away. I am so attracted to that. And it's so attractive that it's not just her that sees it. Do you see who else sees it in the text? So these, uh, the friends are referred to differently as you go through. They can be friends. They're often referred to as virgins or as bridesmaids. I think of them as like her gang. And it's one of those moments where um, the relationship forms and all the friends get to give the feedback and the friends say, yeah, he's, he's a keeper. And, and the, these, these friends have been challenged all the way through to do what? To not arouse desire until it so comes round. And they, they look at this guy and they say, yeah, this guy's worth the wait. Here's the two pearls. And we're nearly finished, but I, hopefully it's worth the wait. First thing that I think I get out of this poem is that there's more to intimacy. I think, this, I think the song's telling us that, and I think I, my reading of the Bible is that it's telling us that. There's more going on with our desire, need for, experience of intimacy. And it's, I'm not being glib, it's good news. I remember when I was, I think I was about 12, maybe 11, something like that. It was the first time I noticed um, people of the opposite sex. It was the first time that I was like, all right, okay, this is, what's, this is, this is how it is. And starting to sort of, yes, that's, that's what happened. And, and, and fancy them in that way, sort of notice them. And I heard a song, um, I used to have this Walkman that I just kept just in a really geeky way around my ears all the time. And it was the Bangles song, Eternal Flame. It was, I think it was, I think that all correlates. Yes, yes, this is what was going on. And I remember thinking, this sounds a bit much, does this? Do they know it's burning an et an etern et forever? An eternal flame? Close your eyes, give me your hand, darling. I remember thinking, I like the look of them, but I don't know what this is all, you know, this, this feels a bit much, this feels... This feels like I'm nowhere near this. I'm never going to get to this level. I just fancy him. I'm not, eternal flame, are you kidding? Then, then I held a girl's hand for the first time. Don't get too embarrassed, it's all right. 
don't panic, it's all good. And I was like, wow. Genuinely, I was like, I cannot believe how this feels, how amazing this feels, how the level of connection. Just 12-year-old me holding hands like, my mind is blown. Think about it. No, we're all laughing a bit. Just, you're right, love. You can't open with Just holding hands. That's, that's all it was. That's all it was. And my mind was completely blown. This song, God's Word, the Bible, when Paul, when Paul talks about the union of man, of, a man, of man and woman in Ephesians, he says it's a profound mystery that we come together. Man joins up with, with woman. It's just, I it blows my mind. And yet, he says, this, this profound mystery, this level of intimacy is just a picture. It's just God sketching out the levels of intimacy that are available to us as human beings. There is, I think this passage tells us, gets us to think about, there is so much more. So much more to our relationship with God. We're just dodding along, having an okay relationship with God, which has been much of the story of my Christian life. There is, I cannot get away, I cannot get past this book. There is so much more out there for us than that. This book says, have a look at this. There is so much more to our relationship with God. I think of all the readings that I could find, I think the psalmist David, so you'll have to bear with me, I think we've got this text that we can put up. As a poet, and as somebody who's in touch with his, his, his feelings, he was able to share what some of this like. And he said, you've searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit down, and it's quite a long reading, but I just want you to immerse you in it. You know when I sit down, when I rise, you perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, and I can bear testimony to this. Before a word is on my tongue, Lord, you know it completely. You hem me in behind and before. You lay your hand on me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It's too lofty for me to attain. Imagine running away, getting away from all this. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you're there. If I make my bed in the depths, you're there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, imagine something miraculous. If I settle on the far side of the sea, even there, your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me, I can escape this intimacy and the light become night around me. Even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like day, for darkness is as light to you. For you created me in my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I can praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. How precious to me are your thoughts, God. How vast the sum of them. If I were to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. There is so much more. He knows 
the darkest, most horrible bits of me, and he still loves me. He still loves me. He shaped a world for me to look out on and play in. He knows me so well. There is so much more out there for our relationship with God. Last point. Spiritual intimacy, or perhaps the best kind of intimacy, is worth holding out for. This woman in the text, she found somebody worth the wait. One of the things I think that we know about intimacy is that you've got to invest in it. You've got to work at it to get it. I think because our need for intimacy is so great as human beings, one of the things that we ask ourselves, and we ask ourselves this as Christians, but I think we ask ourselves this as anybody, we say, is godly intimacy worth holding out for? Am I going to put myself through this? Am I going to, so to speak, keep making myself vulnerable? Am I going to hold on for this? Am I going to pursue godly intimacy? Am I going to take that risk? Or am I just going to get what I can? There's a beautiful verse at the end of the Bible, Revelation chapter 5, um, it's a future vision, if you can believe that, that a guy called John has, and he tries to write it down, if you can believe all that, about end times, about how it's going to wrap up, about how we're going to assess everything, and if there's anybody out there who's able to assess everything. And it says, I hope this verse corresponds if the tech team will help me out. Then I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll with writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, who's worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? It's end times eschatological sort of language. But no one in heaven or earth could open the scroll or even look inside it. And I wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or look inside. Then one of the elders said to me, don't weep. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. Then, then I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain, standing in the center of the throne. Uh, the chorus goes on and the refrain goes on as the lamb who has been slain opens up the scrolls. So the, so the prophet says, so the story goes, the people cried out, worthy is the lamb that was slain. Can we believe that? How can we, c c can we wait? Can we hold out for intimacy? Can we know that there's anything worth holding out for? How would we do that? Here's my, uh, here's my Christian hope and the direction that my life tries to travel in. We can. Why? Because the lamb was slain. Because Jesus died. And because we can look at somebody and go, maybe where we can't look at anybody else, and we can go, yeah, he's worthy. It's what the chorus in heaven, we're told, will cry out. It's what 
the Roman centurion looking on as he died couldn't help but shout out, even though it probably meant tricky times for him ahead, he's worthy. End of the message, first bit of Song of Songs, please read on, is it is worth it. The intimacy that is available, holding out for, there is somebody worth that, and it's Jesus. Um, to put a line over this talk, and the Song of Songs as an introduction, it's a song. It's a song about human intimacy. It's a song about our intimacy for his glory.